So today we have a missions partner with us. I'm, I'm very excited to have a good friend of the church. Actually, he's not only a good friend of the church and been someone we've partnered with in missions for many, many years, but uh, Ron Pierce uh, heads up a ministry called Empower, and uh, they go around the world. He uh, was a great friend of Pastor Keith's. And uh, these two traveled the world together and went to various places together. And, and so some of the stories you're going to hear today are, are, are places where Pastor Keith went and, and saw what was going on in those countries, which is exciting. And uh, we're thrilled to have Ron Pierce. He's been here for Mission Fest. We asked him to stay over. Uh, and he's one of our big partner churches for the pie auction. And he's going to mention that briefly in a moment. So I'll let him do that. Uh, he's a Canadian. He's from Barrie, Ontario. Uh, he and I have a couple of common passions, missions and boating, which are very related when you think about it. I don't know how I squeezed that in. But anyway, I'm not going to waste any of his time. So please give a warm Church of the Rock welcome to Ron Pierce of Empower Ministries. It is so good to be with you. I... Uh... I've been waiting for this opportunity to come and speak to you directly because you've been so supportive of Empower Ministries, especially through your pies. And I've talked about your pies all over the world. Um, your pies are obviously the most productive pies that have ever been created. Um, they have won so many people to Christ because you've invested in all these projects, and I'm gonna tell you today of some of the things that you have done, but the numbers are staggering right now. Um, you can't understand the power of a pie until you understand the power of God. And the power of God is basically what is being released right now. We've never seen missions to this point since the Great Commission was given. Um, we were going along, and I, I've come to Mission Fest over the years, and I've been doing this for 35 years, going all around the world to all the spiritual hotspots. And if I can, you know, do you a graph, we were going along like this very nicely, good growth. It was incredible. And then all of a sudden, COVID came along, and we just shot up. Could not believe what we were hearing during COVID. COVID has launched us into a new stratosphere of people coming to Christ. And I know very well, I know very well that, that we have, people have died, uh, people have suffered under COVID all over the world in Canada and everything like that. I'm not dismissing that at all. But what I'm telling you is, is that from a kingdom perspective, this has brought people all over the world closer to understanding what death is, that it's, we're, we're fragile and human and we die and everything like that. But it's also shown that the world religions have absolutely nothing to offer to people who do not know Christ. They are falling apart everywhere we go. We work in 50 nations of the world with about 58% of the world's population. So I go into these countries and we ask all these national church planting movements, what do you need? And they will come across with all these things that you've helped us with, with the pies and everything like that. Uh, for instance, bicycles and motorcycles and uh, short-term pastoral support and blankets over here and with the gypsies, uh, giving them winter jackets and boots for the kids. Uh, we do a lot of Bibles. 
A lot of Bibles. Last year, I think it was 2.2 million that we did in all the spiritual hotspots of the world. And we take them in, give them away to the people that are poor. They can't afford a Bible, and therefore we, we give those away. So we've done a lot. So 50% of our work is this. 50% would be with these other things. When I go in to these spots with these leaders from all over the world, I'll sit and I'll say, what's going on? And they automatically say, we are overrun with new Christians. Everybody's coming up and they're saying, why are you Christians so different? Why are you loving everybody? Why are you displaying peace and joy and tranquility and happiness and all those adjectives, the fruit of the spirit? Why are you displaying all that in the middle of this crisis? And they say, we're scared. We don't know where to turn. Our gods are not satisfying our needs. What do we do? And it's just like when, when Peter was preaching on the day of Pentecost in Acts chapter 2. And he delivers a sermon and the people came after that and said, they approached him and they said, how can we get out of this mess? That's a paraphrase. But how do we get out of this mess that we're in that we have absolutely nothing to hope? And it says that they were in emotion, acute emotional distress. That is where the world is right now. Because we're going from one thing to another. I call them birth pangs, Matthew 24. That these are getting more severe and they're getting more frequent. COVID was just one of these. Now you've got this war and this war and this tragedy and this tragedy. It's sweeping the world. They're building upon one another and people are reaching out for answers. And that's where we are at today. And you're thinking, oh, it can't be that much. It hasn't happened here. In fact, I had one brother um, at, a, at a church I spoke at recently. And I was talking about what God was doing all over the world. And he says, well, Ron, I was just down to Las Vegas. And I didn't see anything of what you're talking about. And, and I'm sitting there thinking, okay, just back up here a little bit. You got to get away from the Western way of thinking. We are not the center of the universe as is Las Vegas. But we're not the center of the universe, and therefore, we are in, I'm gonna tell you, we're in a dry spot right now. Not this church, not various situations, but as a whole, it's drier here than what it is around the world. And the Spirit of God is being poured out in all of these countries in a way that we never expected. We were expecting a stream or a river, we've got Niagara Falls coming at us right now. And when I get back home, I know tomorrow morning when I'm sitting in the office, I will have requests that are overwhelming in numbers from all these countries. If I told you the numbers, you wouldn't believe it. And that is why the verse for this day is Ephesians 3.20. That is one of my favorite verses now. It says this, Now unto him who is able to do exceeding abundantly above anything that you can ever imagine, hope, dream, if you look at the, Livia, the Amplified Bible, it's got all sorts of adjectives in there. And it's to him that is the glory, to Jesus. So why am I talking about it in this way? Because this is an empower story. This has nothing to do with empower ministries. We are reporting. We come along and we throw gasoline on the fire of the, of the Holy Spirit that is being started in all these countries. Not everywhere. But in the places that we're talking about, it's strong. We come along and do that, and we say, we didn't do it. It was Jesus that did it. He is building his church. And that's why I'm telling you, you are throwing gasoline or pies on the fires of God is starting all around the world, and you are seeing thousands upon thousands, tens of thousands, come to the Lord just by what you're doing. So, 
That was my introduction to say thank you. You are doing a great job. Thank you. With that being said, now I've got to prove it. So I'm going to take you around the world a little bit. And uh, I go fast. So therefore, hold on tight. We're going to start in India, where I always start, to give you an overview as to what COVID did. But this is in other countries as well. In India, when COVID hit, they locked down the country. Everybody was paralyzed in their villages. They couldn't go out. They, couldn't, they don't have great reserves of food in their houses. They have, don't have uh, um, deep freezes to go to or anything like that. And when the, when the country shut down, people were starving. In these villages, they couldn't intermix. They couldn't go into their fields to get their crops. All of a sudden, the Christians stood forward. They weren't arguing about anything. They looked at this as an opportunity. And they took this opportunity to go out and love people and pray for people. I remember I was on Zoom one day, and I'm talking to this leader of the work that we work with in, in India, uh, one of the major ones. He's got, uh, okay. They stopped counting at 20,000 churches. All right? And because of the persecution and by the various forces, we're not going to go beyond that. Much more than that now. He phones me and he says, Ron, we're overwhelmed by new believers. And I said, why? He says, because in all the villages, all these Christians who were isolated have risen up and they're praying for people. They're going to huts. They're laying their hands on huts and praying for safety from COVID. They are going and giving the food, their own food to everybody. He says, even at nighttime, they're going out into the fields and they're not supposed to do this, but they're going out there and into the jungles and they're getting fruit. They're getting the crops and the vegetables that are in the ground. They're putting them in bags, dragging them in, and going hut to hut, giving away food. And he says, all of a sudden, all the Hindus and the Hindu priests and all those folks, they were overwhelmed by this. And he says, now what it is is that they're coming and they're starting to ask the Christians, why are you different? What makes you different than everybody else? And then they talk about God living within us. And they give that sort of example. Then they see the peace and the joy and all those things I'm talking about. They're overwhelmed. And they started to come after the crisis was over. They opened up the country. All of a sudden, they started to come. Another day, I was talking to the same leader. And I said, so are you busy? He says, Ron, all we do all day long is baptize. That's all we do. They have had more baptisms now in India than at any time in history. Now, this is in the northern part, the tribal areas, and in the central part of the country, where we work with this organization. There are many church planning ministries out there doing this job. So this isn't a secret. And they were coming to the Lord, they said. And we, I've got videos of them lined up, like from here, way outside the church in that corner, all lined up for water baptism. And they just would come by the hundreds. Many crusades that you have helped support, where you invest $100 in an evangelist to go into a certain region, and he would go in there to uh, have a week of meetings, and they would have music, and they would have preaching three times a day. And out of that, maybe you would have uh, 200 people at the maximum in some villages that would come and hear the message, and you might have 20 or 30 people that would accept Christ. All that for $100 in a new church would be started. I said, so how are the mini crusades are, are going after they lifted all the, the rules and restrictions? He says, Ron, where we would have 200 before, we now have 800. 
and he started to send me pictures. My WhatsApp was loaded with actual pictures of these massive gatherings. He says, we would go into these areas before, there was very limited interest. Now everybody wants to come, everybody wants to hear, and that's why it's all over. This just happened. I was talking to this leader on Thursday, and I said, I'm going to Winnipeg. I said, it's cold there. They need something to warm themselves up uh, spiritually. Uh, they need something hot off the plate, shall we say. And he says, well, tell them this. There is an editor of a um, Indian um, Hindu newspaper. And he says, I know him. And he says, what's happened is, is that he said, we got into a discussion one day, and we were talking about the changes. And this man said, he says, Ron, he says, everywhere that I go, all I'm running into is Christians and talk about Christians and new churches and everything like that. He says, it's everywhere. You guys are just taking over the country right now. And he says, you wonder why you're getting persecuted? He says, everybody is afraid. They're afraid they're losing control because the gospel is spreading. And he says, that's why you're seeing all this persecution in the news and everything like that. It's because of success. When the gospel is successful in some of these countries where there's resistance, that means that the people fight back from the other religions. And that's what's going on there right now. So I said to my brother, I said, I said so what do you think? He says, we push on. It doesn't matter, we push on because we're winning this war. And that's what I'm talking about. COVID gave us an opportunity and it's going strong right now. Um, Okay, we're gonna go from the COVID factor to something else, give me two seconds. I've never seen such a dry province in my entire life. <laughs> um, I'm gonna take you to where I just came from and that was El Salvador. And uh, we were down there and we're, um, I, we'd heard about um, the, the mini revival that was breaking out down there. And the people from there, from this one large church, they said, we're desperate for Bibles and New Testaments. So we sent in, I think it was like 25,000 of these, which are full uh, Bibles. Uh, we print these for about $3.10, I think it is, per copy. And we sent in a whole bunch of New Testaments, et cetera, et cetera. And they said, we need more. And I said, what? And uh, I said, I better come in and see what's going on. Last Monday, I came out. And I came out more than amazed. I've never seen anything quite like this. They are spreading out. The countryside in El Salvador is very poor. The city of San Salvador is richer. And when you get out to the countryside, you see with the opportunity of people that are looking for answers to life. Catholicism is basically falling apart around them. They don't necessarily believe it. But where the real miracle that I saw was, was in the prisons. You see, El Salvador was, since the 1980s, it was ruled by gangs, civil war, uh, fighting, death, everything like that. That's strong in prostitution and extortion. Um, all of these things in the crime syndicate sort of world. And they were, there were bodies all over at one time, all over the streets and everything. They had a new president that came in because the people got tired. They elected this young man and he came in and he says, I'm gonna clean this mess up. So they elected him eight months ago. They started to sweep clean all the gangs by putting them in prison. Before eight months ago, there were less than 40,000 prisoners in the prisons of 
uh, El Salvador. When I went down there last week, there were more than 92,000 in prison. They put everybody in and the sentences are long, 20, 30, 40 years for crime and for um, being a member of a gang. And so they're putting them in there and the city has totally transformed as well as the country. And so I said to the pastor of this very large church, and I said to him, so you need Bibles for this? He says, Ron, he says, they're coming to the Lord like nothing we've ever imagined. I went to a prison and I went to a prison last week. There were 1800 prisoners in this. And he says, 900 of these have been born again and they are following God. When they accept the Lord in this prison, they go from the general population on this side over to the Christian part of the prison. And they took me to a courtyard. It was a basketball area. We had probably about size like this. There were 600 inmates in there, all with their Bibles. They had, they had all white on. They, we couldn't get all 900 in the place. They wanted us to stay for another service. They were singing, they were worshiping. I could tell by body language, by tears. I look for one evidence. When I go anywhere, I look for worn Bibles. If they've got pristine Bibles, I will have questions. If they've got dog-eared Bibles, if I can look and see underlining in it, I know we've got something going. And these guys carried it around. They're starting in 17 of the 21 prisons in El Salvador right now, they're starting seminaries. And these are Bible school seminary situations that are full. We've just shipped in a whole bunch of, of um, study Bibles. Why? Because the pastors who have been chosen to be pastors of the prisoners in, inside the prisons, they need more equipment. They need more knowledge. So we're shipping that in. And so I said to the warden of this prison, I took him and I said, tell me, is this really working with the prisoners or is this a game that they're putting on, a big show? He says, Ron, they are absolutely transformed. He says, we've never seen anything like it. We've tried every other program that is out there to reform these criminals. He says, nothing works except the Bible. And he says, nothing works except the gospel. And he says, these guys are legitimately being transformed. You're gonna see out of El Salvador in the next 20 or 30 years, an army of the strongest born again Christians you've ever seen. Probably the 144,000 are gonna be speaking Spanish. I'm not sure, that's just a guess, but we're talking about evangelists there that are all day long, from when they get up at 4.30 in the morning until they go to bed at 7.30 at night. All they do is worship, study the Bible, and get trained in the Word of God. If you do that for 20 or 30 years, you're gonna come out strong. And that's what's going on in that country right now, and that's why we need more Bibles. They need these. Huh. Hang on. Thank you. There's a little joke going on starting yesterday. Every time I, I take a, or every time you clap, I take a drink. Every time I take a drink, you clap. Okay, so that's what was behind that. Next one. I want to take you to another one which is not funny, but it is glorious, and I only smile when I go in there. I go into the Serbian area to the gypsies. And friends, um, you, you might say, well, you're not supposed to call them uh, gypsies anymore. They're Romani. First time I went in there, I go in and I said to the leader of the largest evangelical church in all of Serbia, it is Romani or gypsy, I said, what would you like me to refer to you as? Because 
titles are, seem to be in our world now very important. So I said, what do you want me to refer to you as? Uh, Romani, uh, Roma, uh, Gypsy, what would you like? He took me out to the front sign and the side of the church. And he says, this is our church, Gypsy Church. Call me Gypsy. Okay, fine, that's fine. Politically correct, I'm not going to be. So therefore, I go to this Gypsy Church. It is absolutely incredible. It is a circus tent. Circus tent that held a thousand people. And here I am standing in this thing and we're looking at, uh, in the area where it was and I'm looking at all of this and the pastor says, we do baptisms and we do them every month. And he says, the young people come in, we'll have 60 come in. And I saw the pictures of this when it would, when it would happen. It was packed. You know how you talked about the other night standing room only? They have standing room only with two or 300 people on the outside. They talked about one guy who was from another village who'd heard about this. And he walked in three days walk to come in and see it, to take the message back to his village as to what was going on. I saw these young people. These young people are on fire for God. And here they are. They are in, on their knees before God. They're crying out. And their evangelistic effort is so strong and their hunger for God's word. We had to print this. This is the Gypsy New Testament. We had to print this for them. Out of, out by, uh, they'd never had it before. So we put this together, dropped off 50,000 copies. I think they're almost gone. And that was like uh, two months ago. So therefore, they're taking it absolutely everywhere. How do they do this in the villages? They've got very, very poor villages. We went, when I was there, out to one of their new church plants. And it was a building, like a little storefront house or something. Uh, probably one room was about this size right here. And it had an 8 by 10 room up this side. 60 people got in there. 60. They were outside, they were inside. In wintertime, it gets cold. Not like you, but cold. And they had a wood stove there. They would take turns coming in during the services. Services are three hours long. They start with kids at eight o'clock in the morning. We bought them a bus. The bus is supposed to hold 24 people. It now holds 40. And uh, we didn't count how many kids. It was a great multitude. And so here they are. They're getting in this, they're going to church, they have church for three hours with the kids, then they have the older people uh, in the afternoon, at noontime it's the young people. Stuff I'd never even dreamt was possible. I said to the pastor, I said, how many of these could you get going? He says, Ron, from where we stand right now, 20 minute drive in any one direction, instantly we could do 20 more churches. There's no problem at all. These people are hungry for God. And so I, I said to him, I said, I see some of your, your baptisms that aren't in the swimming pool. He says, yeah, in the church we have a kiddie pool, blue kiddie pool, about this high, that the little ones would be. We get in there and we baptize. But in, when we go to villages and they have their churches in these very, very poor houses, we don't have that. So we use cooking pans. A cooking pan in there is a pan that would hold half a leg of pork or whatever. They're about this by about this by about this deep. And he says, we fill it with water and then we will put the person in it on their back. They have to scrunch up their legs and hold like this and get real tight. And he says, then we take a pail of water and we go in the name of the Father, Son, the Holy Spirit, douse like that. That is their baptism in a gypsy situation in the middle of nowhere. And I said, so how many of those do you do? Oh, we do those every week. And the people are coming, and they're strong. This is what I'm saying. I laugh, and I rejoice. 
Because this is the hunger for God that's not just in one place, but it's all over. All the people groups are feeling it in a different way. Um, I must carry on. Um, I want to take you to Ethiopia. We haven't done much of this, and I've got so many good stories on this, I've, I've got to share them. Ethiopia is probably the hottest region of the world right now. China, oh yeah, it's, there's millions coming to the Lord every year. I mean, a lot of people, and I know that. We work there extensively with 30 of the largest house church movements, probably totaling about 80 million people. Just off to the side, talking to one leader, he's one of the big five, and he's probably got um, probably about 10 million in his network. And I said to him, how many Bibles do you need? And he said, uh, Ron, right now, uh, it would be wonderful if we had a few more than what you're producing. Right now, we're doing about 500,000 a year. And uh, he says, yeah, we need 40 million. I said, 40 million? He says, yeah. Yeah, he says, that's for the ones that are going to be accepting the Lord. That's for the ones that don't have it right now and a Bible. And he says, there's quite a large backlog as well. And he says, that will be one per family, not per individual. I said, that's amazing. Well, he says, yeah, when we do our young Christian class, it's sort of different than anywhere else. I said, so what is it? He says, well, when a person accepts the Lord in our group in China, he says, we start on Friday night and we will start then and all day, or, or I'm sorry, not Friday, on Friday, and we will start on Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. Those are the days they commit to us. And he says, we start at seven in the morning and it goes to nine at night, three days. And that lasts for two months. And I said, so if those people don't want to come on that regimen, you know, to, to study like that, he says, well, we'll get them saved all over again. Um, because obviously they're not believers. So therefore, they will start until they commit to being undergirded that way. And I said, so what do you do with them? And he says, we just train them in the word of God. And we tell them, like all the students in our underground Bible schools, they have to memorize about half a chapter of scripture per day. I said, you're kidding. Can they do this? Oh yeah, they can, if they set their minds to it. And he says, we have to put the Bible now inside them because we don't have enough outside. And I said, that's amazing. I've never heard that before. He says, well, we're not complaining, but we're just overwhelmed. That's in China. That's not where we're going. We're gonna to go to Ethiopia, which is even bigger than this. And when we go to Ethiopia, I'm gonna tell you that We've been sending out um, throughout the year evangelists. These are men who have been trained from their previous historic religions. They are solid in the word. I was just in there in the last part of November in the first week of December, and I'm meeting with them. You have never met more motivated, more knowledgeable people than this. They've come out of the darkness into the light, and these guys know what they're doing. And they will go out Virtually, as I say, we help them with, with bus money and a sandwich. And they go out into the middle of the wilderness all throughout Ethiopia. And they take the gospel and they preach. God goes ahead of them most of the times. And I know this would be tough for some of you to hear. But what happens is that they have dreams and visions repeatedly all over the place. And the, pastor, the, the leader of the historic religion will have a vision from the Lord, opening his mind, convincing him that the man who's coming tomorrow with the book is on the right path, and this is what they've been looking for. And therefore, next day after that man wakes up, 
the evangelist comes into the village, preaches the gospel, and virtually the whole village accepts the Lord. And I'm sitting there in December. I'm sitting there with the leaders of this underground movement, two leaders. And I'm sitting there and I'm just shaking my head, thinking, I've never seen anything this big with this many people coming to the Lord. And he says, it's only growing. And this is going to get more and more and more. You will hear about it in the news in the years to come. Watch for it and remember this day. Because this is one of the big ones. Remember the Ethiopian eunuch in the book of Acts? Took the message down. He started something a long time ago that's being finished right now. That is the key to this. So when we go in, we will sit down. I went out, as I said in the first service, to meet with 12 guys in the middle of nowhere in a church. They were talking about their experience with um, having the dreams and the visions with virtually everyone uh, who are the leaders. And then when I came out of that meeting, I'll give you the second part of this. I came out of the meeting, and here I am with this, walking with these guys past this makeshift Bible school where the people of that area had built this little, made of twigs and mud, dirt floor, this little training area where everybody came in and slept. And they said, we want you to meet a lady. So they took me over to meet the lady. This happened just before COVID. And they took me over to meet with this lady. She was about yay big, just the tiniest little thing. She'd accepted the Lord with her household, her, her husband, and her kids. And she was the one sent to the Bible school to learn how to witness and the basics of sharing her faith. So they want me to meet her. So I said, so you accepted the Lord? She says, yes, I'm going out to save my family. And I said, I thought your husband and, and, and kids were, were believers. She says, oh yeah, but all my family are all scattered in all the villages around here. And she says, I've been chosen to go and save them. I said, what does that mean? She says, when I'm finished my Bible school in the next couple of weeks, I will walk over there with the blessing of my husband and my, my, my kids, and it'll be months before I come home. And she says, I will go to each one of them. I will come and I'll go into their house. I'll stay with them. And she says, in that village, then the pastor will come a little bit after I'm there, maybe a week or so. He'll come in. I've softened them up. He'll lead them to the Lord, and I will go to a new place. And he says, she says, I've got all these villages all over where I've got to go to take the gospel. And I said, so you're going to go to those places. Isn't there anybody else to go? She says, well, they'll trust me. We know each other. We're family. And she says, I will stay with them and I will convince them of the power of God and that Jesus is the one that we've been searching for. They've been searching for a Messiah. She says, we found the Messiah. And she says, this is a life and death issue. This is their eternal destiny. If, we, if our roles were reversed, they would come to tell me that they found the Messiah. And I thought to myself, oh my goodness, I just was taken to school by a little lady about this big. She, she understands the lostness of man. She understands her responsibility. She has a burden for the lost. We don't talk about this anymore. We don't talk about the burden for other people. But this is what happens under a revival. All of a sudden, you, you have a fire lit within you, and you will, your Christian activity would increase. But God also gives the people of the world now this burden upon them. And they look at people, as Jesus did when he was up on, on, on the Mount of Olives on, in Bethany on the uh, week before the crucifixion, remember, on Palm Sunday? He comes over the top of the hill. He looks down on Jerusalem, and what did he do? He wept. 
Why? Because he had a burden for those people. He says, you're lost. You don't know that this is the day of visitation. And that's what's happening now in Ethiopia and other countries. They're realizing their responsibility. They're realizing the opportunity. And God is giving them both the anointing to get the job done, as well as the energy to go out there and do it, as well as this burden that does not go away. This is a little lady that you will meet in heaven. I'll introduce you. You talk to her. This lady is mature in Christ. And she's only a young thing. She's going to a little Bible school made of twigs. She doesn't have much wealth. You won't know her until she starts to talk to you. And then you'll remember this moment. There was another story I've got to tell you about, and then we're going to move on quickly. I was just told this one. When some of these evangelists go out to the various areas, she said, he, this leader says, he says, we, had a, we have a problem. And I said, oh, what's the problem? He says, well, we need more Bibles. We need all this, right? You know, all these sorts of things. But he says, when we do a wave of these evangelists going out, he says, sometimes they have a problem in the fact that when they go to a village, they'll be there or another village, etc. They might spend two months, three months out in the field. And then they want to go home to be with their families. He says, we ran into a problem in that they went to this one area and all these people kidnapped the evangelist pastor and wouldn't let him leave. It was a Christian kidnapping, so it was okay. But at the same time, you get the drift. They didn't tie him up or anything of that nature. They did something even more strenuous and, and harder. They were so concerned that he was gonna go and that all their friends and relatives in the areas around that they didn't get to with the message were going to die before he came back. So they didn't use handcuffs. They just dropped to their knees in front of him, grabbed his feet and begged him, don't go, don't go because they could die. And I'm sitting there thinking, I have never heard a kidnapping story like this in my entire life. I have no idea what that means, except from the eyes of people who are lost. I grew up, like Keith, I grew up in a Christian sort of environment in Regina, Saskatchewan, you know, that city's lost, but I was saved. And, and here I am. I'm in Regina, Saskatchewan. I go to church every Sunday. I was a good little Christian boy. I love Jesus. I can't remember a time when I didn't love Jesus. At the same time, I don't know what it's like to be so lost in darkness that all of a sudden you're begging somebody, don't leave. My relatives, my friends, all these people, they've got to hear. They've got to hear. Please, please. That shakes you. So I said to this fellow that told me the story, this leader, and um, you, you, you've talked to this brother, and um, therefore I said to him, so um, what was the outcome of the whole thing? He says, he stayed for a few weeks, we sent a new man in, he's doing the job now, all is fine. But he says, this is breaking out all over. So I said, well, where do we go with this? He says, we have to raise up more of them more evangelists, more people, because the panic is on all throughout the country. Rumors are spreading. And I said, is this gonna change anything? He says, right now, you would not believe the talk on the ground. And I said, is this gonna be something that we can talk about in times to come? He says, yes. But he says, there's something that you've gotta realize. And I'm gonna close with this. He says this. In Ethiopia, in the revival in Ethiopia, with these people from the historic religions that have been lost in absolute darkness, 
He says, you start to share with them the gospel. You start to talk to them about it. But he says there's a fog in the minds. And there's something that's, that's just, they can't understand. And he says, all of a sudden, in the midst of this, after they see the gospel being lived out in front of them, after they see the miracles and the healings and all of these things, after all this proof gets put out in front of them, it still takes one more miracle to push them across. And then he walked over when he was telling me a story and he took a light switch and he flicked it. And he says, this is when the Holy Spirit comes in, flicks the switch, and they can see. And that all of a sudden the fog is gone and they understand and he says it hits them like a sledgehammer. And then all of a sudden they open their eyes and it's almost like they're in a brand new world and they look around. And they say, all right, now I see what you're talking about. It's not a work of man. It is a work of the Holy Spirit to flick the switch at the right time with all the evidence there. And I said to him, what is the evidence that they look at more than anything else? It is the people who've had the switch flipped, who've had the indwelling of the Holy Spirit that look different, act different, behave different, uh, smile different. Everything is different. That's us. That's Christians. We were born to be born again, to have this whole thing changed so that a world watching would say, these people are really happy. They're peaceful. COVID brought it into focus. But now in this country of Ethiopia, all of a sudden, when they see all this and the, the Holy Spirit throws the switch, it happens. They turn into the most dedicated, most powerful people that you've ever seen. And that's what we need in Canada right now. We need two things. We need two things. First of all, we need some examples. And I, this is my last sermon, so I'm going to go all out and probably offend some people. We have not been the best examples over this last few years. Fighting has been more evident than loving. We have to get back to the point where, we're, where we are obviously different from everybody else in the world. So much so that the talk isn't about the Christians, but you're going to be talking about the Christians. It's a total different conversation. I'm tired of COVID. I'm sick and tired of it. We got lazy in COVID. We gave up. We huddled together and we fought. The rest of the world was on fire for God and looked at it as an opportunity. And I don't, Mark and I haven't talked about this, but I'm going to do it anyway. I challenge you. Get rid of the COVID conversation. I'm tired of the word. And come, let's come back to the area where we have a burden for the lost, and it is time to get up and go to work. It is time to witness. It is time to live in front of a world that's watching. It's a time like we've never had before. This is the great outpouring that we were praying for. It's here, it's now, all around the world. It's just starting. It's gonna get more intense. So my friends, please, I love Canada. This Canada of mine has got great potential, but it's, it's lackluster right now. It's slow. It's dull of hearing. We need the Holy Spirit to flip a switch. We need it. 
And that's why I come to you right now. You are flipping the switch in partnership of flipping the switch all around the world with all the missions that you do. And I thank you. You're coming alongside what God is doing and you're helping them. You're helping them grow. You're helping them learn about Jesus. You're, all these things that you do when you send us cash, we are throwing it on that fire. Now, there's a different fire here that we need to build in this country. Take this thought home with you. I'm tired of this, and I don't want to live in COVID any longer. We will be victorious in Christ, and therefore, stop talking about it. Let's go on. If you want more stories about what God is doing around the world, I've got a commercial here. It goes this way. Uh, no money. You're doing enough with your pies. More pies, please. Um, this is a little card at the booth. It sits right out there. It is called the... Guest services. Right next to guest services are my daughter and my grandson. They've got this little card. If you want more stories, go to ronpierce.org. I've got stories on there. What happens all around the world in podcasts and everything like that. Just tune in there. Secondly, if you want to have situation reports, they're free. All it is is every month I say, this is what's going on from around the world from Empower's viewpoint. In other words, revivals. If you want that, go take it. It's all free. I thank you so much for this opportunity. I thank you for being here today. I am thrilled that I am alive at this time in history. Folks, we're winning this war. I read the last chapter of Revelation, we win. Don't worry. Okay, let's start acting like it. God bless you. Thank you, Ron. L let's stand together. You know what, Ron, you don't have to worry about us talking about COVID. Or, or we, we declared it over months ago. Nobody else was willing to do it, so we did it. And uh, it's been good ever since. People don't get COVID anymore, they just get sick. <laughs> like, like they used to. Hey, wasn't that encouraging to hear those stories about what God is doing around the world? Let me remind you of something Jesus said. Jesus said, this gospel of the kingdom will be preached to all nations and then the end will come. You know what that means? If we're do, gonna do this at the current rate we're doing in North America right now, it'll take another, I did the math, million years to get it done. And so why should we doubt the fact that God is doing incredible things around the world? Did he not say that the glory of the latter house would be greater than the glory of the former? Would we not expect to see the, the, the book of Acts replayed in a more significant way in the last days? And if, if, God, if Jesus is gonna accomplish this task of winning the lost before he returns, or at least giving everybody an opportunity to hear the gospel, then he's gonna to have to accelerate the way things are happening. And so I love hearing these stories. Uh, Ron didn't talk much about it uh, today, but, but uh, he and Pastor Keith were good friends. Do you know that they grew up to, uh, four blocks away from each other in Regina, Saskatchewan? And they, they were different ages, so their paths, you know, would have crossed on the street and down the sidewalk. And then by the providence of God, uh, probably what, some 10, 15 years ago? How long was it about? I don't know, maybe 15 years ago. Uh, God brought their lives together and they became great friends. Some of you remember that, that Ron spoke at, at Pastor Keith's funeral. And uh, 
Keith went and traveled to various places with, with uh, Ron, and, and I sent him on the mission. I said, you better come back and tell me if all these stories are true that they were hearing, because I don't know if I believe a word of it. And, uh, and Keith came back and said, Mark, these things are really happening around the world. And so we're excited to be partnering with Ron. We've done it for, for many years now, and uh, I, I think I'm pretty close on this number. Last year at the Pi Auction, I think we designated 175,000 dollars to those projects you've heard. And uh, Ethiopia is one of the big investments that we make, so I'm glad he told that story today. Just in closing, I've got to do something we always do in this church, and you know that, and we never close a service without giving people an opportunity to invite Christ into their life. And if you're here today, and you have not made that decision, to be a follower of Jesus, or maybe you have in the past and you've slipped away. You are not here by accident. You are not listening to these stories about what God's doing to flip the switch for no reason at all. And I just wanna ask you all to bow your heads and close your eyes just for a moment. I'm gonna ask you this question. It's a personal question, but I need to know. I'm not gonna ask you to come forward. I'm not gonna ask you to say anything publicly. I'm not gonna embarrass you in any way, but with every head bowed, with every eye closed, if you're here today and you have not made that decision, you're not sure about your eternal salvation and that you're on your way to heaven because you have not yet invited Christ into your life, I want you to just slip up your hand. Just let me see that hand, just slip it up. And when I've seen it, you can put it down again. I will not call you forward. But with no one looking around, if you want to make that decision today, let's just take that moment. Just taking this uh, short opportunity. All right, thank you. Okay, fantastic. All right, you, you can all put your hands down. There were some hands went up. Maybe there was, maybe you didn't put up your hand, but you should have. Why don't you pray with us? Because we're all going to pray together. So. Pray with me. Lord Jesus, I thank you for the work of the cross. The 2,000 years ago, you died for my sin and you washed it all away. And you rose again on the third day and you forever live to be my Savior and my Lord. And today I give my life to you and I will walk with you for the rest of my life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Amen. Let's give the Lord a shout, shall we?